0: She's Inspirational and this is the She's Inspirational podcast. I'm your host, Julia Strelow. Today we are chatting with Juanita Willems. Juanita was made blind as a result of child abuse. She now coordinates Foster Hope Otago, which is a 100% volunteer-based charity that provides backpacks with essential items to children as they enter the foster care system. In 2021, they provided 1,400 foster children with packs and over 1,000 Christmas presents. Juanita was also the winner of the Inspirational Woman Resilient Woman Award. Welcome, Juanita. It is so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Uh, so, Juanita, uh, what an amazing woman you are. You have such a big heart, you have such an inspiring story of resilience. And as a result of child abuse, you've been struggling with sight since you were a child. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey? When I was 10
1: months old, I was badly beaten by my mother's boyfriend. Um, the abuse was ongoing from when I was two weeks old, as the f- first reported incident that is on my records so the abuse at 10 months old essentially what it did was it changed the shape of my eyeballs Um, it was mainly related around my head and it caused significant damage to um, my eyes my retinas and my optic nerves so I was able to sort of live a relatively normal life until about eight years ago Uh, I've always been extremely short-sighted so vision has always been a huge problem but about seven years ago I started having some issues with things floating in my eyes and was promptly raced into the hospital and they decided that they needed to operate the next day um, in order to try and save my vision. So there were 40, uh, sorry, 34 different um, eye procedures over the following five years and during the course of that it was sort of determined that The injuries that I had or the the difficulties I was having were not something that was normal for someone of my age. So we had to open up a lot of very sealed files um, to determine um, what the actual cause might have been. And very quickly from those notes, it was determined that the damage to my eyes was caused by that particular event. So there were 19 other injuries, most of them which would now be classed as superficial, but broken bones and cigarette burns and that sort of thing. So yeah, so I was sort of in and out of foster care and then um, placed with my family, who I now call my family, um, and adopted when I was seven years old. So I've been able to lead a a really loving um, family life uh, from that point onwards.
0: Wow, Uh, Juanita, it's just... You know, halfway through when you were speaking, I just realised that you can't actually see me, can you? No, not at all. And I realised, I was like, oh my gosh, like this story is so heartbreaking and you couldn't see my face, you know, showing you how much I felt for you and cared about you. And It's those looks that
1: my husband often says to me that I'm in some ways quite lucky that I don't see the pity that people give me. And I certainly don't share my story for that reason. It's um, something that did take some time to be able to share with people was my story. I felt a lot of guilt around it and a lot of things that I just should never have felt um, was felt felt bad for the other people that were involved and what would it mean for them and then realised that it was actually really important.
0: You know I'm an advocate for anti-domestic violence and just Having suffered it as an adult, myself hearing about it happening to a child is 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 heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't mind the pity. I understand the impact. It, it is heart-wrenching and it's, it's a story that, that no one should ever have to share. But it's important that people are aware.
0: You are so resilient. You're so strong. You still find the time to give back. What inspired you to get involved with Foster Hope? I was just looking for
1: something to do something to get involved with and the natural sort of google search became um, charities that support foster children and so I came across Foster Hope New Zealand and looked it up and went oh crikey there's nothing south of Christchurch so I was very aware from having friends and obviously having siblings that were um, in my family I have two other siblings um, that were were put into foster care and then adopted with my my current family or my family and realised that there is still such a big need and it it isn't often talked about. So I just made contact with them and said, look, you know, I'd like to give this a go. 12 years later, we're really giving it a go.
0: So (laughs) it's keeping us pretty busy. You know, it's hard to believe that there's actually that many foster kids in New Zealand. You gave out a thousand Christmas presents. So was that is that how many foster children we have in the Otago region? That is the Otago
1: number. So that's Omaru, everything south of Omaru, including central Otago, Queenstown, all of that area. The New Zealand figures sit around 6,000 children, we believe. And we know there are a huge amount of other care-based children so that are being cared for by family and whānau that may not necessarily be receiving our support because we simply don't know how to get in contact with them or they don't know that we exist. So I believe there are definitely a lot more. There's a lot of family based placements, grandparents raising grandchildren, that type of thing where families are placed, our children are placed within the family that don't always count towards those numbers. But yeah, our current numbers that we seem to be supporting are sitting around the fourteen to eighteen hundred mark here in the in the Otago region this year.
0: And is it hard to find homes for that many children?
1: Yeah, I believe they do have a huge amount of challenges. I'm really glad I'm not responsible for that part of the <laughs> part of the role. Um, definitely, always looking for really good families that are happy to support a, a child who whose story may be similar to mine. It may be worse than mine, um, and it may be completely different to mine.
0: What is your role as the coordinator?
1: So basically, my my role is to run. The Otago branch. We I set it up from from nothing, other than the base that we had within Foster Hope, New Zealand, and so making sure that you know we have volunteers, making sure that I coordinate with. We're coordinating with about eighteen different support agencies that support care children, making sure that they have everything they need, and because it is such a big area it isn't just as simple as them saying we've got a child going into care, can we grab one of your backpacks? Because often there's a two to three, you know, hour driving difference in that. So making sure they've got plenty of stock on hand and that it's that it's relevant and appropriate to what they what they need at the time.
0: And that's that's amazing. And so do you if you gave out fourteen hundred backpacks in twenty twenty one, did you have any goals for twenty twenty three that you're hoping to achieve? My ideal goal was
1: that we didn't have to give out any packs at all, to be honest, but unfortunately, that's not something I have a huge amount of control over. The goal is just to continue to be able to make sure that our packs are relevant. We do a lot of sort of talking with the social workers and the caregivers to make sure that what's going into the packs is really relevant and useful. We don't want to overwhelm a care child when you're handing them a pack you know um a lot of in a lot of cases, these children leave their situation with what they're wearing so handing them suddenly masses amounts of stuff um, when they're not used to that can be really challenging so we just want to make sure that everything that goes in them is really useful um, and that we're getting as many of them out as we can so we do spend a lot of time you know, talking to different groups and talking with agencies to make sure people remember that we're there, that they know that we're there. Heading into Christmas, obviously we'll start our Christmas drive, making sure that every single child in care, whether they go in on the 24th of December or even on Christmas Day, because it is often something that happens, um, that they have something under that Christmas tree from centre. What kind of stuff would you put in a pack? So in our packs, we, we really think about sort of a child arriving with, with nothing, with what they're wearing. So we want to make sure that they've got all of their toiletry items. And bearing in mind, some of these kids go straight into uh, group home care. So just often not even having a toothbrush. So, yeah, so all the toiletries. We have brand new pair of PJs, our new new underwear, new socks. We do include secondhand clothing items, really good quality well clean, well washed and looked after um, clothing. We always provide a blanket, um, some sort of cuddle blanket rather than a warmth-based blanket, something that can just help comfort them. There's a book and a journal. The journal's there for whatever purpose. For the for the really young babies that go into care, it can be used as a record of, of um, the time that they're with that carer because they may get moved. Might just say something like, baby likes bottle at this time and this time or, you know really good record but it also can be used right up through the ages it can be scribbled on the pages can be ripped out they can be left used as a journal whatever that child needs to use that journal for it gets used for and we don't mind what that looks like if it helps them with their journey and the process of dealing with their trauma and their grief then that's what it's there for and I'm just trying to always a teddy always a teddy some sort of teddy comfort item and toys if we've got them left over but that's the basics that are included so there's nothing nothing super extravagant it's all really essential stuff that most people take for
0: granted I'm glad that you give them a journal because there's actually proven benefits to journaling for processing and mental health so and a teddy of course
1: (laughs) yeah we get the teddies right up through to to about 16 even for the for the teenage lads and we know that you know one of the stories I have recently was a young fella that got a pack had a, a teddy in it, and you know he was seven or sixteen, I think he was and the carer sort of joked with him and said, "Oh, you don't have to take the teddy if you don't want to and he sort of took it away to his room and when the social worker went away to um say goodbye to him after her visit, here's the teddy promptly sat up on the on his pillow on his bed in pride of place so you know it, it's they still mean a lot even at 16 and 17 to some to well to all of the kids.
0: Yeah, I agree and I remember at the women's refuge gala I actually told a story about going to a women's refuge and seeing little teddies laid out on each of the bed for the women and thinking about how much that bear would have meant to me even as an adult, just a little bit of security and showing that someone cares about you enough to give you that bear. And
1: that's exactly our motto. So Foster Hope's motto is every child, or we believe every child deserves to know someone cares about them. And that's exactly what that's about. The teddy is always on the top of the pack. It's the first thing that that child sees when they open that pack is is the teddy sitting there.
0: That's so lovely. And also kind of a bit sad because, you know, some of these kids may have never been given a bear before. We have kids who've never had
1: their own underwear or or, or, or new underwear. We've had a, a 14-year-old girl recently in tears over a pair of second-hand jeans that we popped into her bag. She'd never had a pair of jeans and, you know, it just doesn't fathom thinking for the most part. If you think too much about it, it gets pretty upsetting.
0: Honestly, that does. That made me feel teary, teary up thinking about that wee little girl, just the things that we take for granted, you know, these little kids, some of them have nothing and just haven't ever felt the love of getting a teddy or a pair of clean undies. I read in a news article that I know you shared your story with me earlier and I know that was tough and you mentioned in the article that you felt your story was important to share because it helps shine a light on child abuse and just some of the situations that children go through. How important from what you've seen working in Foster Hope Otago, how important do you think shining a light on child abuse is in New Zealand?
1: I do think it's really important. I think it's a subject that, along with you know domestic violence, is, is something that people don't talk a lot about. We definitely should be talking about it more. And the reason I think it's important is that you know if it makes one person stop and think before they, say, raise their hand to someone, to a child or an adult, Oh gosh! you know that woman you know was was blinded by the injuries that she caused or uh, sorry that were caused <laughs> then to me that's been worth it. I think it's important for people to realize too that you know that that the eighteen other injuries that i had the the cigarette burns and the broken bones and the and stuff like that they healed. But this became a permanent change for me. This has completely changed the course of my life. And that's not necessarily a negative. It took some getting used to. But again, that one moment and that particular day when, when, My mother's boyfriend decided that that's what, you know, what he was going to do or whether, you know, he lost it or whatever it was that caused him to do that has completely changed my life. And I do think it's really important that people know and even if they have two extra seconds to think about the consequences of what they're doing, then that's been worth it for me to share, you know, that information.
0: So you recently won the Resilient Woman at the Inspirational Woman Awards in Queenstown and how does it feel to be honoured as an inspirational woman and what does this award mean to you after everything you've been through? Oh look, it you know, I was
1: absolutely humbled um by it. And I remember saying uh when I when I was standing up there and, and giving my wee speech, you know, that I never prepare I never prepared anything. To, to say because I never expect to win I always think you know when I when I'm nominated for these things and be, become a finalist I always like to research the other finalists as well and and find out a bit about their story and and their stories were both incredible as well so I always sort of go in there just thinking no I'm here for a good evening and you know but yeah so it was incredibly humbling and um being resilient is something that I sort of have a bit of Difficulty with people using that phrase. It's not that I don't think the category is great. I think it's wonderful. I just think that for me, I'm being awarded for something that I have no choice but to do. So, in other words, I have to be resilient. I had two choices: one was give up, or one was carry on. And giving up was never an option. So, yeah, no, it was it was incredible. It was a great night. You know, amazing hearing all these different people's stories. But yeah, you know, I don't do anything, any of this for for any of the accolades, but you know it's always nice to know that people are appreciative of what you're doing
0: and i know remember on the night uh the the event which was at the top of a hill uh, required a gondola ride to get up there and you thought that maybe because of health reasons you might not be able to attend and I just I was wanted to know how that made you feel and whether you were re- relieved to make it to the top and back down again because we haven't really spoken since then.
1: It was one of those things that unfortunately the the uh, multiple surgeries and the issues with my eyes do mean that I have incredible issues with um changing atmospheric pressure, so you know going up the side of a hill in a gondola at a you know that you're stuck in and can't get out of is quite a um a scary thought, so it did take some. Uh, coordination with my specialist um it took four days of of pain relief and um anti-swelling medication to get up the hill you know it wasn't an incredible amount of pain the entire time that I was up there but I was safe enough that I wasn't at risk of losing an eyeball which is what can happen um so yeah I was relieved I was thrilled that it didn't become oh God, sorry, a barrier to to that sorry that phone never rings <laughs>
0: That's okay. I was like, oh, you've got a home phone. That's rare. <laughs> that Yeah, it
1: was, it was really good that it didn't become a barrier. You know, when you have a disability such as mine, there are so many barriers out there. But being able to make it up there and be a part of the event, regardless of, of even winning the award, was was quite an achievement. I was pleased to get my feet back on the ground.
0: I'm, I didn't know you were in pain. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and you brought Arnie with you, so Arnie's your guide dog and he was very popular at the event. He,
1: he was a bit dubious about getting on the on the gondola as well. Um, obviously it's, it moves um, but once he sort of realized that that I was okay with getting on it, he was fine, um, sort of had a, had a wee look out the window I'm told and, and watching what was going on. so no it was it was really helpful. I probably wouldn't have been able to attend the event without. Arnie with me.
0: And how important is Arnie's support for you day to day?
1: Oh look it's incredible even though I can use a cane um, being someone who's totally blind it's incredible the difference people often say I walk taller I walk with my shoulders back now and sort of walk with a bit more confidence certainly when you're using a cane your your level of concentration is is. A lot higher. So, Annie's an incredible help, and you know, um, very, very grateful for the opportunity to be able to have a guide dog. That's for sure.
0: And he's gorgeous. <laughs> so, Winita, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know we've had a few te- technical difficulties, so um, I apologize for that. Thank you for sharing your story with me. And what I really wanted to do was shout out to listeners. If anyone. You know, you're, are you seeking donations or are you seeking foster parents? Like what, what kind of resources would you, do you need at Foster Hope Otago to help with these little kids?
1: So look, we're absolutely always seeking donations as an organisation that relies on the the generosity of um, the public. Uh, we're always seem we always feel like we're asking for something, but you know, donations of of shampoo and soap and that sort of thing are always incredibly helpful. Um, coming into the next half of the year, we will be launching our 2023 uh, Christmas present drive, and we have drop points located right throughout the lower half of the country and including central otago and they will then be delivered back to us to be allocated back out to local children so a lot of that information is available on our facebook page which is foster hope otago and they can make contact directly via email at otago at fosterhope.org.nz and then that will come to me and yeah, we can certainly let them know what we are in the most immediate need of at the time.
0: Thanks so much, Juanita. And I will link that below in the podcast. So anyone who wants to find out more about Foster Hope or donate money or supplies can do so.